Um, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the unity of your word. Thank you for the closeness of your spirit, the goodness of your people that overshadows the brokenness of this world, Father, that is stronger than any wickedness that man could do. Father, teach us again because we forget how vast, how wide, how great is your love for us. Show us again the mighty power of your right hand which drives away sin as far as the east is from the west. And Father, our sins, the iniquities, the things that we've done and the things done to us no longer have power over us. That we are free to follow you, that you've given us freedom And we stand in that freedom today and we give it back to you in praise. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, yeah, our series is on the temple. Amen. And uh, essentially the, the fact too that we are now the temple. <laughs> um, I, I won't say that you looked ahead, but you did have the iPad, just calling that out that, that it was there. And I, I know the worship leader, too, and he kind of did that song at the end on purpose. So there was a little bit of leading. Um, before I, I jump into that, though, I, I want to acknowledge that today is actually Pentecost Sunday, and, and this is a big deal for us. Um, Pentecost is, is it, it's the pivotal point of, of the church, you know, and, and I, I think that we, if we are not a people of the Holy Spirit, who are we? Um, Where our identity is lost um, because we are so dependent upon who he is active and living amongst us today, in us today. Um, it's vital that I think we understand what it means whenever we look at Pentecost. And if you don't know the story, you should. You should look it up and read it. I, I, won't, I won't take time on that today. But I, I, I hope that what Amy shared and what I'm about to, to talk about connects those dots for you, right? That, that we understand um, that we are to be filled with his Holy Spirit because there needs to be this place where his presence is living amongst uh, his creation. So I, I, I hope you guys know this, and, and I don't know if I need to say it out loud, but I'm, I'm going to, that, that I'm not interested in giving you teachings that are just interesting. I mean, hopefully they are, but, you know, that they're not facts and figures. Because our, our faith is not meant to be something where you can quote scripture and you, you, you know these details and, and you're just content to kind of say like, oh, I learned that. Um, they have application, right? If they don't have an application to our lives, what are we even doing? And, and, and this is the thing, I, I say this, and so hopefully you've heard this, right? I have a day job, I have a family, I, all the things that we do. Um, if this was simply just an education thing, Y'all can get, find that online, <laughs> like, you know, like, like truly. And then there's people who do it really, really well, and you can just learn those things. Now, education is extremely important, and we shouldn't be ignorant. But there's a thing that's coming from this that needs to affect who we are as a people. Um, the why really matters. The why really matters. And the temple is an interesting thing because I think a lot of the, the teachings that I've heard on it are here's the layout, here's the structure, here's the design, here's the decorum, here's what it looks like, and, and there's some symbolism you can see about this stuff. Okay, that could be interesting, but so what, right? Why does that matter to us here today? Um, and to understand why, we do need some education. Um, we don't often appreciate our Jewish heritage, Gentiles, <laughs> talking to us, right? We're grafted into an older faith, 
if that's not the case, if like if Christianity was invented like a few thousand years ago, what about everything from before that? We are grafted in to the original faith. We're, we're grafted into the history of all mankind to God's intent from the beginning. That's why it has merit. That's why it has value because God's been doing this from the very beginning. So to know where we come from is very relevant so we can understand who he is, who we are in this faithful expression over time. The temple, I'd argue for most of us, is ancient and foreign, and the ideas are more of a curiosity than something that affects us in our daily lives. Here's a warning. The last time I approached a, a sermon series with this kind of uh, mentality was when I, when I preached on the Sabbath. For those of you who are not with us, the teaching on the Sabbath was meant to be four weeks we extended that one to 12. <laughs> and it just, it, it wrecked me. And I mean this in a legitimate way, in a way that I'm still reeling with. Like, I still will look at my wife and say, this is, this is why Sabbath matters. Like, the Sabbath got into my life in a way that I haven't shook. And I don't plan on shaking. It, it matters so much Right, I, I think sometimes when people come to church, they assume that the pastor like knows all of these things and that the sermons are kind of like an illustrated guide to things that we should all know by now. It's active and breathing and living. We are all growing in these things. <laughs> and, and exploring the Sabbath awakened a part of my soul to the reality of what God wants to do in a way that, that has affected and changed me to this day. And I, I kind of see some of the same parallels here with, with the temple. That if I think if we really understand this, who we are as a church, who we are as the living stones, will affect us in a way that, that hopefully we will not recover from and will mark us for the rest of our lives. Um, as a pastor, I kind of have to hope that that's why I'm up here preaching, right? That this isn't a curiosity that you remember one day, but that, that it changes lives, it shapes us and, and forms us. Um, so I thought about this a whole lot this past week, but for longer, about why. Why are we preaching on, on the temple in 2022 in Holly Springs, North Carolina? Uvalde um, happened. And I, I legitimately don't want to be up here talking about this. Um, it, it doesn't fill me with any sort of joy to talk about yet another school shooting. As a father of, of kids that are in public schools, it... it this is why I think when I was talking earlier about the fear that wants to steal our breath, forgive us, we pray. I cannot blame children for being fearful of things that they're seeing on the media. They, they don't need to repent from that. We need mercy, Lord. Uh, forgive us, we pray. The song holds up. The, I'm so tired of talking about things like this. Because if you've been around, you've heard me talk about this through summers of of, of hate and violence, uh, of racist, racial, racial tensions through all these things that we've seen throughout the, the schools since Columbine, whenever I was in high school. I'm sad that there's a history and a pattern for Sundays where I'm no longer surprised and unprepared, where I feel like I actually know how to navigate this well with my kids and with us as a church. There is something so seriously broken and wrong here, something seriously broken and so wrong with with us. And I know that we all want to find who to blame and we want to identify the, the problem and we want to fix it. And I think that that cry of Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy is so relevant. But what do we do? 
what do we actually do about this? There's a chorus of voices calling to us daily, hourly, if you'll let them, telling us this is what we need to do. This is what's wrong with us, and this is what we need to do. And it's good intention, people, but it's an echo of what's been said before and again and again and again, and nothing has been changing. People will talk about prayer in schools, and will argue about the laws of the land and politics, and will talk about the good old days and the need for traditional family values. And I don't want to talk about Uvalde in a lot of ways because I don't want to reduce this to a sermon illustration. Please hear me, okay? Seriously, it is not a sermon illustration. It's not a talking point or something to, to just pull out. I struggled with including this at all. I, I was looking for photos. I actually didn't want to put one up here because they feel too manipulative to see what happened. It, yeah, I'm, that's not why I'm doing this. But we need to realize who we are and what's going on. And that what we're talking about in this series and what we're talking about every week, it, it just matters. It, or, or what's the point? Like, like God, help us. Help us help others. Let, let us be salt and light to a world that, that needs it. And, and how do we go about that? What do we actually do, Father, to get us from where we are to where we should be? And why is it us? Why, why are we the ones walking through this world with this, this big embarrassing and yet shameful and, and, and this, this reality of what our nation has become. Here's the thing. I see a mirror. I, I, there's a gap, I think, in those approaches I mentioned and what will be the, uh, the effect of mirroring the gap between our understanding of the temple and what's intentioned and what it could be. I, I think that's slightly confusing, so let me try to explain what I mean by that. You know, we, we talk about these approaches, what we need to do as a society, and yet nothing has changed, right? And I think that there's still this gap, in it, and, and it matches our understanding what the, the temple is and what David hoped it would be, what, what Christ came to fulfill and satisfy. The fact that the temple became a place that was polluted, the fact that it became a place of watered-down religion, where there was money changers in there, where, where the, the temple had all this hope and possibility and what, it, what Christ saw as his father's house, but then this sad reality that it didn't quite match that because of what we've done. I see that same thing parallel in these ideas. The temple isn't any of those things that I listed. It's not prayer in schools or in public. It's not God-honoring laws. It's not traditional family values but you can put that on there. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can look at the temple and you can say, well, that's where the law was read. You could look at it and say, that's where they came to pray. All of that is true, but it was meant to be more than that. I think you can misunderstand me this morning. I hope that this is abundantly clear by the time I'm done. In many ways, the temple becomes the container for what we expect and what we understand of God and his intentions and his character. It reflects us. We, it becomes a place because of, the, uh, because of God's character, because of God's loving nature, because of the freedom he gives to his people. It becomes a place where we get to hang up whatever religious sensibilities we think we need to put on there. Whatever we think we need to do there, the temple becomes this, this catch-all for our understanding of who God is. Religious duties and ceremonies, well, yeah, that's, that's what you do there. The temple's where you go for that. It's the center of life. Well, yeah, it's in the middle of everything. It takes us back to, to what matters so we don't get distracted. 
It's what and where the law was read and realized. That's good God-centered rule of law, right? We, we understand that that's something that we could put on the temple. We should get back to that, people will say. In case it's not clear, I don't think that those things, as we've been discussing them, are going to answer and heal our land. You couldn't and you can't stop me from praying however and wherever I need. That's just the nature of this, right? And having a, 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 a taught or led by teachers actually stopped me from engaging in prayer as a student, as a God-believing student, because the teacher was leading it and I was no longer interested. I went to Christian school, you know, and, and not for my entire education, but, but it didn't encourage that. When I was in public school in high school, I prayed every day before tests, after school, before anything, because I was a praying human. As long as, long as there's math, there will be praying humans. You can't stop a praying person from praying, no matter what the laws of the land may say. That's, that's, that's the nature of a life that is centered not around the school, not around the laws of the land, not around government, but around God's presence. When somebody has a taste and they understand that the living God cares for me, it doesn't matter where we are, the circumstances, or what the laws may be, because we have to be faithful to who we are. That's the beginning point. We don't start from the outside and enforce these things in. We start from where we are and we build out to affect this world. I pray for godly leaders, but our kingdom is not of this world. And I feel again and again that the, the church has mistaken this. And yes, I pray for godly leaders, but we are not of this world. Our kingdom, our hope, our, our God cannot be removed from the throne. Like, you could try, you can't do it. <laughs> Empires will rise and fall, and the Lord will remain seated on his throne, and his law will be eternal. What is good, what is right, what is pleasing cannot change, no matter whether we understand that, no matter whether we agree with that, no matter if we practice that or if we don't. His words are eternal. And I don't think we can affect the family down the street and help in their problems by passing any laws or having public prohibition or a judgment or anything like that. I think we can affect them, Bev said this so beautifully in our pre-service prayer, by bringing them into our homes, by extending a hand of love and mercy and bringing the kingdom of God close. That's it. And if we start from those places, I believe our, our land starts to be healed. There was a, a kid in our neighborhood, um, quite frankly, kind of scared my, my, my girls. Uh, he had a, a hard edge to his look, if you know what I'm talking about. I, I hope that doesn't sound judgmental, but he, he gave that vibe, you know, stay away, um, that he was capable and willing to, to do things to, to hurt people. And um, it was dark and angry, and I, I saw him there. The kids didn't want to go to the bus stop because the kid would be there. And uh, I would take my, my dog on a walk. Hugo, y'all probably know him. Take him on a walk or a run, and, and we would go by that, that bus stop. And I, I have a tendency trying to keep him really close so he doesn't go up to people. But one day, for some reason, I, I didn't do that well. And he went up and he, he nudged the boy with his nose. And the boy who had his he head down, he was sitting with his legs crossed and like this, got nudged by, by Hugo. And you just saw joy creep into his, his face in a way that I had never seen before. And it broke my heart that he had been judged, he'd been ostracized, that he had been, he'd been removed from, from the kid's play. And Hugo somehow broke through. And I told Leah, I was like, you know what? 
I want to do something for this kid. I didn't know his story. I don't know anything about him. I started going up to him at the bus stop, and, and I, I, would, I would start talking to him for just little bits of time, and, and I saw the edges start to chip off. Doggone it, he moved away. <laughs> I wish the story kind of went into a different place, but I'll tell you, to this day, I remember him and I pray for him every time I go on a walk by that bus stop. I, I believe this is the beginning on how we as Christians shape and affect the world for love and kindness and forgiveness and grace and mercy. And if it's a dog's nose, if it's a meal, if it's a word of kindness, the world is hungry and desperate. And that will open the, the way for the Lord to speak his truth and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Part of me is really jealous of the days in the land of the temple because it was such a concrete reality. You know, it's a place where you can go and meet with God. It was, it was decorated his way. I've got a photo of this kind of idea of what we think it might have looked like. You know, what does God like? You know, what, what are his preferences? What are his tastes? Does he change the, the curtains seasonally? You know, how long after Christmas does he leave the Christmas tree up? Is he like a New Year's guy? Like, you could look. That's a joke, y'all. <laughs> you know, did, what, what was his preferences? You know, I, I love this description I've heard before with the sacrifices always being made at the temple. God's house is the one that always smells like a barbecue is going on. It was a party, you know? And I think that changes our notion of what we might understand the temple was like. The temple isn't about putting religious actions central in our life. And I think we have that impression of it. Amen. It's not about forcing observance on a community. Amen. It's about making the nearness of God a reality. Yes. A physical, relational, morally, yes. and more reality. Amen. God is near, and I can go near to him. He's trustworthy. He's close. And I know how to get close to him. There's washings that we can do. There's ceremonies we can do. There's prayers we can pray. We can come close. And yet still, he's removed from his people. It's one of the most amazing things. The Holy of Holies is yet still separate. We can come close and thank God we don't always go as close as maybe we would just barge into it. There's still that loving separation, that loving distance. Because God is holy. God is in his temple. I think that if we can see the temple as Christ did, we can actually begin to experience the hope that David had when he longed to build it, that God would embody the temple, that we somehow construct it now as living stones. It's about presence. That's what the temple is about. Christ was content to flip tables because we've forgotten. This is Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. If you pay attention, this was a calculated premeditated maneuver of Christ. He was in the temple the day before. He saw the money changers. He knew what was going on. This was a calculated thing. We think often that this was like a momentary loss of, of his temper. No, he knew what he was doing and he was setting things right. He was doing justice by coming in here and flipping these over. If Christ were to come to the church in America today, what would he overthrow? Because I can guarantee you he has plenty that he could choose from to, to flip over my father's house he says multiple times throughout the gospels it's 
It's my father's house, but what? We've taken it from a house and we've made it a den. And we've driven out the, the father who was staying there and it's occupied instead by robbers. The temple matters because it, it shows us what it could be, what it should be when the church is operating as the church should be, not necessarily as it is. You can read metaphor into the whole story and history of the temple, you know, from tabernacle to temple, mobile to permanent destruction and rebuilding, the decorations, the decorum, the splendor and the rituals and the layout. But the, the temple started with a big desire. I'm going to read for you an entire chapter of scripture. This is 2 Samuel 7. You can flip there and I hope you follow along. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone. I've cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home for, of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. And King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? What is my family that you've brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, Sovereign Lord. There's no one like you. There's no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, to make a name for himself, to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt? You have established your people Israel as your very own, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you've made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. 
the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you've revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. You've promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. With your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. This is amazing. Like, I, I think we can read this and skip over the profound thing that, that David's like, you know what, God is worthy of a temple. Yeah. And God hears him and says, no, you. <laughs> what, kind, who, what God does that? What kind of a God says, yeah, I'm, I'm worthy, but I'm going to make sure that you were established and safe first. You know, it, it's a good father who, who before he buys himself a, a boat or a vacation house, makes sure his kids are fed, <laughs> right? Before he takes all the collection for himself and, and builds his empire and makes his name great, he ensures that his family is well provided for, that they are safe and they have that. God's character is revealed here even in the longing for a temple. What is, where is his temple meant to be? Is this temple meant to be a place that, that everybody can look at and wonder at as we build up this, this, this temple of gold and stone and cedar and everything like, like he did? God says, look at what I've done, the faithfulness throughout the generations. We still read the words of David. We still marvel at his, at his son of a son of a son when we call out on the name of Jesus. And we realize from this stump of Jesse, there's this amazing branch that has grown that we are grafted into this tree, this story. And he sits on the throne now and forever. I love the repeated re refrain there at the end that this is all in your sight. That from God's point of view, he's got all of us in his sight. We're not so different now than David back then. We're asking these questions. What is home? Now, where, where am I safe and prosperous? Where am I unhurried and unworried? Where do we belong? Who are our people? You ever go into somebody's house and you wonder what the rules are? Do I, do I take the shoes off? Do I, do, I, do I leave them on? And you're looking around for the little signs of like, what is the appropriate protocol here? Like, like what, what do we do? You know, you go to the bathroom and dang it, they've got that nice towel. And you're thinking, do I use it? Do I not? There's like three soaps. There's like the soap dispenser. There's the soap over here. And we, we go through this. Kind of, we all do this, right? And, and it's because you respect their house. It's because you're not quite at home there. When Leah puts up a nice towel, you know what? I use it. <laughs> because it's in my house, you know? And it's like, yeah, yeah I'm going to be comfortable in my own house. I'm, I'm, there's a towel, I will use it. And then she goes, don't use that towel in the guest bathroom. I'm like, but it's here. And I am here. And my hands are wet. I wash my hands, so I'm going to use this. We're amazingly common, people, when we go to somebody's house and we realize that there's rules and protocols that we might not know. So it's always been when we go to the temple. When people come to church, yeah, I respect everybody who goes to a church and sticks around because it's awkward. They're singing songs I don't know. They have jokes that I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm sitting in somebody's seat. Then they looked at me like, oh my goodness, I didn't know. Like, how am I supposed to know where I'm supposed to sit? And then like gradually you kind of move to the front. And you realize, oh, Bev, Bev messed it up. She moved to the other side today and we've got to change this whole thing <laughs> because there's these unspoken protocols as we come close. You know, kids play tag. And inevitably, when they start to get tired, they, they, they make a home base, right? Where they're safe. 
And then if the game goes on too long, they have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and what do they do? If the home base is a couch, they take a pillow with them. And they say, I'm still safe because I've got home base with me. Or they'll put the pillows in like a little trail leading to the bathroom. Is it just my kids? No, it's all kids, <laughs> right? Because they need to be safe as they want to keep playing these games. We're not so different. What we have become as, as the people of God, these living stones of the temples, that we take safety home with us everywhere we go, that we bring a bit of the kingdom, that we bring a bit of the rule and reign of God everywhere we go. That's the design. That's the purpose. That, that's what it is. When the temple can come down, it doesn't actually affect the presence of God and his intent. His intent wasn't glorify me. You, I must have a house that you can come here and worship me appropriately or you will forget. No, no. That's not what he was saying. He's not saying put the temple in the center of, of the village so that everybody knows that you are a people of, of the presence of God. No. He says, look at my servant David. Look at, look at his son who I will establish his throne. Look at how I've been faithful to this covenant from the very beginning. That's the story of the temple. First Kings 6, just a snippet for now. Solomon built the temple and completed it. He lined its interior walls with cedar boards, paneling them from the floor of the temple to the ceiling and covered the floor of the temple with planks of juniper. He partitioned off 20 cubits at the rear of the temple with cedar boards from floor to ceiling to form within the temple an inner sanctuary, the most holy place. Main hall in front of this room was 40 cubits long. The inside of the table of the temple was, was cedar, carved with gourds and open flowers. Everything was cedar. No stone was to be seen. Is there meaning to verse 18 there? You know, I bet we could find some and, and inject it in here. I don't think that's the point. God likes cedar. <laughs> You know, <laughs> carved gourds and open flowers. It, it, it's, it's just kind of making a nice place where God has a preference and God can be with things. It was specific, it's personal, it was beautiful, it was God's. Now, since the garden with the tabernacle, with the temple, with Christ himself, with the church, we see a theme that God wants to be with his people. He wants to be at home. He wants to be at rest. He wants to be present. He wants to be available. He wants to be close. We joke about it in my family that I'm a, I'm a man without a home. My family's from up north. I married in a, a southerner after living in the south for so long, and they'll definitely remind me all the time that I am still a Yankee. doesn't matter if I can make barbecue. I am a Yankee, and I will never be anything else. You know, my kids were born in the south, but I was told by a very endearing southern woman that just because a cat has kittens in an oven, it doesn't make them biscuits. So, you know, it's fine. I'm not a Southerner. I can admit this. And I'm also not a Yankee. I'm a man without a country. I'm a man without a home. A I'm a North Carolinian because <laughs> we're, all, we're all carpetbaggers here. Um, God's will with his temple has been to be with his people. Churches are criticized for being a, a waste of land because, you know, on Sundays we use a lot of space and a lot of parking. And the rest of the week it, it's not so much. You know, that's the same thing with football and baseball stadiums. You need a lot of land when you need it, and then you, you don't use it for the rest of this. And I think it's a legitimate complaint for a lot of reasons, because if our religious life is centered on Sunday mornings, what's the point of the church? Right? If, it, if it's only like, oh, this is when the Christians do their thing, is on Sundays, so we've got to give them their, their space. No. But is your home that tabernacle? 
Is your home and your life a place that reflects the presence of God and how he has invaded your life with goodness and mercy and transformed and changed you from who you have been to who you can be under his covenant? I don't want to de-emphasize our Sunday services. They matter, but they matter in light of what you do the rest of the week. It's not a place. Uh, it's who you are. If this is the only time you pray or fellowship or engage with the word of God, if it's the only time you love each other, if you serve and minister, I, I, I don't even know. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to quit right now because I've been working for years trying to, to change things. We live as bond servants of love day in and day out. First Peter 2.5, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And at this point in time, you can say, yeah, Amy really did say all this, and mu much more succinctly than Josh. We're going to look at some details throughout this series. We're going to look at some, some information. We're going to learn some stuff. But we're going to keep this central, that we're talking about God's presence. Y'all know about Abraham Lincoln and his son. I, I love hearing about the kids in the White House. Willie and Tad had access to information that it says that shaped their play. Their father was commander-in-chief, and the boys learned about and experienced war from an inside perspective. There's this guy who wrote a, a, a book, Bain, and he remembers that the boys incorporated war tribunals, presidential pardons, and the punishment of spies and prisoners into their play. And Tad had a doll, which the uh, Sanitary Commission in New York sent him, and Jack, the doll, was court-martialed, and he was found guilty of several crimes. He was condemned and sentenced to death by firing squad um, by Tad's toy cannon. And uh, Jack was buried with full military honors. Now, there was a major Watt who suggested that Tad request a pres presidential pardon on Jack's behalf. And Tad thought that this was a good idea. But his dad was actually in council meetings at that time about the War of the States. So you know what Tad did? He interrupted <laughs> his father, the commander-in-chief, dealing with real war and real problems knocked on his father ran up to him in the middle of a crowd and say dad will you pardon my doll the presidential pardon what do you think Lincoln did son not now get out the, uh, the adults are doing grown-up things don't don't be in here right now no he gave the doll a presidential pardon in front of his cabinet and I think when we think about the White House we forget that it's a house. The same way when we think about the temple, we forget that it's a house of prayer. We put all of this stuff on top of it. And like as time goes on, we, we, we forget what these things are about. We forget what they're meant to, to be. And that same way that we can see how the White House has become a place we think of, of, of offices and meetings and, and control rooms and all sorts of stuff. I love looking back at the beginning when it was a house where a son interrupted his father because that's where I live. Yeah. We've done that with the temple. We've forgotten. It's my father's house. A house of prayer. I want to leave you with this. That we enter his rest. It's not trying harder. Be more clever. Believe more. The call as always is to come close. Today. As long as it's called today. This is Hebrews 4. God again sent a certain day. Calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts 
If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. We've made a mess of this world. We've made a mess of our nation. We've made a mess of our schools. We've made a mess of the the mental health and well-being of those who are outside the church and those who are inside the church. Lord, have mercy. There's sexual abuse rampant in the church. Lord, have mercy. We've allowed narcissists the pulpit. Lord, have mercy. We've turned the, the faith walk into facts and figures and about information rather than being a people that are loving and gracious and that exemplify what it means to be a Christ follower. Lord, have mercy. Forgive us, shape us, and change us from here. That's the temple. That's the temple. Not that it's a building that we can go and say, God is so good, look how great and rich he is. But God wants to live with his people. He loves his family. I'm going to pray for us and end with a, a song of worship. If you need rest, if you need to be touched and reminded of this, um, this is the time, this is the place. Uh, again, we're, we're not prescribing our wisdom, our knowledge, our, our ministry, except that we are a people of the presence of God. We celebrate and we remember Pentecost today when the Holy Spirit came as never before and changed things for the church that what we can represent to the world is not our best efforts. It's not our wisdom. It's not our goodness, but it is His. And I have confidence to say that you can experience that. Again, not because of the the wisdom of, of the, the counselors and the people up here who are going to pray and minister for you, but because God is here, where two or more are gathered. And He is good and faithful to that.